hundreds of pages, thousands of words, millions of letters. Welcome to the Kanja Book Club. The price of admission? Fifty thousand. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Conjure Book Club, the weekly Star Wars book club podcast brought to you by the Utini Podcast Network. This is the show where we intentionally experience Star Wars stories together one month at a time. Today, we are talking Greater Good by Timothy Zahn, chapters 8 through 14. It's episode 35, and I am one of your hosts, Timothy Guthrie, and I am joined this week by the Thurfian to my Thrawn, Adam Dyson. How are you, mate? Oh, I don't even know what to say to that one. I'm good. Hopefully, um, <laughs> so if we're going to have witnesses. There are witnesses in the audience, Timothy. So I was on this show. So if my audio once again goes missing, were you? People were know. you here last I, week? I was. I was giving. I was dropping truth bombs, and you just couldn't hack it and just deleted it. I I don't know, man. I don't remember <laughs> it. Um, I remember I went and, and looked for files in, in the drive, and I didn't see anything. So I don't no, know. That's okay. Maybe you had audio issues like like Patrick did today. I don't know. It's uh, it's weird. Speaking of Patrick, he was temporarily joining us and was going to be the Wes Jenkins of our show today because, you know, he didn't finish the chapters. <laughs> um, but it's fine. Um, and then he had some other technical difficulties and just decided to set this one out. So, Patrick, hope you're listening. I hope that you enjoy. Hope we don't throw too much shade your direction. F's in the chat. I trust F's you. F's in the chat for Patrick. F's, F's in the chat for Patrick, please. Um, there's 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 one from me. Love you, buddy. Um, but yeah, he's he was basically going to be the smacker of the show, but it is what it is. Maybe maybe next week. And then finally, we are joined once again by the Supreme Admiral of the KBC military force. We've got Utini Jedi High Council member Cheryl Bell with us. Cheryl, how are you? Fresh off of a Legends Look Back appearance. Yeah. Yeah, I'm doing great. I was on Legends Look Back. I was just I just recorded an episode with Trev and Jose this morning on Star Wars Archives. Ooh. So busy girl. Yeah, really is the month of Cheryl. I yep. am loving it. So that one will probably that one will probably come out what like one two weeks from now. I so, have no idea. So you will be if I'm doing my math right, you will be on a total of seven Utini podcasts in the month of May. Well, seven episodes, but three seven episodes. Podcasts. I mean, yeah. yeah, but like that's that's a lot of airtime. Kudos oh, yeah. to you. I'll take work, it. Work in the system. Well, we are all <laughs> for it. Um, I am glad to have you all here. Well, I'm mostly just glad to have Cheryl here. Adam's whatever. Uh, but I'm glad to have everyone <laughs> listening to us as well, whether you are live um, here with us. Um, I know Mike is working on um, an R2 Lego set. So shout out to Mike there. Um, and however else you're listening to us on whatever feed you found us. Um, I don't know. Maybe this is like 200 years in the future. And somehow you found us on, for some reason, we're on an old sony walkman and you found some old retro headphones and you put them on and you're listening to us i don't know how that happened but kudos to then, you glad you then found even us. then they're gonna hear your voice and stop listening i, I can quit i can turn everything off i can shut you, it down how do you put up with this abuse week after week i leave audio off of a podcast episode gotcha, i mean gotcha. um I, I i don't know what what i just said um yeah, we're live in Discord every Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern and our episode to the Utini Network feeds every Tuesday morning around midnight. How are you listening to us? Welcome. Uh, a couple of brief updates. Um, Bounty Hunt is back and Bounty Hunt is back because Bad Batch is here. Um, this is the end of Star Wars week. That was super crazy uh, getting to get... Uh, listening to the guys come back and recap the shows and getting to watch those episodes. I'm like, we have Star Wars TV back. How does that feel? Feels great. Any of you. Yeah. Adam, did you watch everything? Do you even like Star Wars? <laughs> you know, I love Star Wars, Timothy. You know that. And see, when you say bad things, it's just everyone's like, it's banter. As soon as I say anything, bad oh, things. he's it a bully. Bad things, it was a question. Oh, it was an honest bully. to God question. How, how, how was it watching the Star Wars film for the first time the other day? Must have been eye-opening. Hey, listen, I I responded to that with, I went to the premiere. 
you little a-hole in my little Jedi outfit. Can't wait to, can't, so I've watched it plenty can't of times. Wait until your Patreon of the week again, you're like, oh, my first Star Wars experience was this year when I watched the film for the first time. <laughs> hey, listen, whether it's the first time or it's the hundredth time, John Boyega is a freaking champ. <laughs> Um, one of the greatest of all times. I'm just going to put that out on the record. But back to the original it, question. I, I said it on Twitter, but nobody listens to me on Twitter, so... I listen to you. Oh, you fight with me. Yeah, I was say, is you it listening or is it just... <laughs> I interact have, with you left, and you're we welcome. Left a trail, <laughs> you have left a trail of evidence of your hatred towards me on every possible platform <laughs> at this point, I feel Except like. last week when you deleted my audio. Listen, I didn't know such thing. <laughs> Do we have any updates in Discord, Adam? Uh, yeah, we banned a guy called Timothy. Right now. Sweet. <laughs> Sounds like a jerk, so I'm glad that happened. No updates, Timothy. We're just tracking along. As per normal, we're getting closer to 1,000 members, though. I think we're in the 980s now, so getting closer. That's what's up. Mm. Sweet. I'm loving seeing all the people jump in, share their stories, how they found us, um, where they are with their Star Wars journey, book recommendations. Mm. Like it's always fun and encouraging and shout out to our community for always being super welcoming, um, of all of those individuals. So a Patreon front, um, because bad batch came back, we had a watch party. That was super fun. We had like, I don't know, 15 of us at one point, 16 of us, something like that. Just hanging out, chatting the Bad Batch. Um, we had a couple of people who hadn't watched it. And um, luckily, I don't think we spoiled anything. So I think that it was, was just good. Maggie. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Fair. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> It's a bold, bold choice for sure. Um, but I'm, I'm really excited that we got to do that with our patrons. Uh, those are for um, anybody that was on our Inquisitorious tier and up, got to hang out with our staff. Um, and we're going to try to do those a little bit more frequently um, because they're so much fun. It's just a matter of getting everybody scheduled together and, and all that craziness. But um, one of the, the cool things, too, that we recently discovered, because, you know, I'm so great at my job, um, we're super close to hitting our next Patreon goal. <laughs> which is really fun. Um, I think we're $14 away technically. So if any of you out there listening want to uh, up your tier or you got some friends that you need to rope into giving us some funds, I think that would, um, that would be incredible. One, I'm very excited about it. And we might be slightly making an adjustment to uh, the goal. I think the goal is supposed to be another round table, but because the boys over on the living force have done so many freaking round tables this year, um, we might be making a brief adjustment. And because Corey's I Jedi reading was so freaking fun. Um, we might have some crazy shenanigans in the works. So more to come on that later, but stay tuned, uh, get your friends involved. We'd love, um, We'd love to see y'all on Patreon, for sure. Um, all of your support means the world to us, um, and it helps us to keep doing all this fun stuff that we're doing. So our book schedule coming up, we're finishing Thrawn, um, Ascendancy Greater Good here in May. And then in June, we're going to have a special guest. Still not going to say anything yet. You still you can't bait it out of me, Adam, no matter how much you torture me. It's just not going to happen. Uh, we'll be covering the Age of Rebellion limited comic series in June. Those first two weeks, we're going to cover the villains in week one and the heroes in week two. Adam, I see you with your whole new goal, find a new Patreon manager thing in the chat. Stop it. You hateful person, you. Um, in July, we will be covering The Rising Storm by Kevin Scott. Holy cow. Adam, did you read the excerpt that we got this week on The Rising Storm? No, I didn't. I've read, I haven't really read any of the excerpts because I like to be oh. surprised. I'm just holding off. Oh. I'm holding. Oh, my gosh. It's going to break your heart. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Cheryl, did you read it? I don't think so. I, I, probably not. <laughs> I'm not remembering, oh. so I'm going to say no. Oh, my God. It's probably fine. It's, Was it? I think the- they... Wait, was I think it they the released the full prologue. What what character is Elzar? Oh no, I haven't read it. I I read an excerpt of something else then. Okay. Okay. Oh, oh man, yeah. I, I'm like I can feel it in my chest right now. Oh, it hurts. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. I'll have to check it's... it out. I'll have to check it out. Uh... It's so good. Um, shout out to Amy and Doodle Boy who have also joined us in the chat. Um, yeah, Amy, you're not alone in not reading excerpts. I usually don't, but I saw Kevin post it and I saw Del Rey post it on Twitter and I was like, oh my God, these people keep posting. I'm just going to click it. And I, I'm so glad that I did and I wish that I hadn't all at the same time. 
And uh, Patrick listening to us with the ace Michael Jordan crying gif. Well done. Well done. Um, Let's get into it. The people are here to talk about greater good. Um, This will be your spoiler warning. This was a lot to cover this week, so bear with me. Um, We are covering chapters 8 through 14. Continue at your own risk. So in the memory sections this week... We learn that Yopalnik and Yumi are loving their time with Hapliff, and they want to go to a bird migration event on Shihan. When the Agbui hears them talking about the Chis family structure and a counselor named Lakuviv on the planet Selwis, he tries to intervene. We learn that the Agbui species can basically read minds with touch, uh, but Yumi's getting real good at dodging it. Maybe they can make the young Chis more agreeable by allowing them to witness a sham wedding, perhaps? It doesn't work. They press on to the migration event, and Jixtus drops in for a surprise visit to Hapliff. They only have three weeks to get to Lakuviv, and they'll need a navigator when the time comes. To speed along the migration timeline, Jim Key poisons the bird's soil, and just when they think all is clear, Yumi finds a different migration location to go to. Because of course she does. She's persistent like that. In the present day, having arrived at Selwis and gotten settled with some land, the Agbui strike up relations with Lakfro and his family. The family doesn't like having the strangers here, and they're very touchy, both physically and at least for one Agbui girl, emotionally. When she's playing with Lakfro's daughter, she hears a sound that reminds her of artillery fire and drops to the ground. Eventually, Haplif presents brooches to Lakfro's wife and kid in an effort to win him over, but it just annoys him even more. Lakcheep suddenly calls him um, and says that more Agbui are on the way, with extra material and supplies. When Hapliff and Lakfro arrive, Lakfro tells Lakcheep about the brooch, and she confiscates it. Whatever is happening with the Agbui will reach even the Patriarch. Lakfro is dumbstruck, so he calls his cousin, I'm not even going to try to say his name because it's ridiculous, to find out more information on the brooches. We learn the Agbui ship was damaged by pirates, and Counselor Lakuvi recommends sending a light warship to protect them on the way to their mining world. They agree to let their Pathfinder, Kilori of Uandalon, hey bud, uh, lead the way with Lakcheep tagging along for the ride. When they arrive, he is dodgy and he's covering up for most things that are going on, but he does end up showing her around. Learning everything that they need to, they head back with Kalori once again entering the Great Presence. Meanwhile, last week we ended with Thrawn in a bit of a possible trouble as 15 gunboats jumped from the same direction towards the Springhawk. After a few semi-elaborate maneuvers, it is obvious that attackers know that they're up against the Chiss. When out of nowhere, Lakenda's Grey Shrike appears behind the gunboats. They had been watching from a distance, but she won't let Thrawn be a hero alone. Suddenly, a large battle dreadnought larger than both Chiss ships combined comes around the back end of the planet. The attackers open fire, allowing Thrawn to move in, and he and Lakenda perfectly execute a plan that leaves the dreadnought badly damaged, but it destroys the disabled gunboats on its way out. There was a smaller ship near the Grey Shrike, and it may have been a passenger ship or a freighter. Somebody clearly wanted something badly from the planet. Lakinda's recordings are inconclusive from the battle, and the Magus didn't give much info regarding the far side of the planet. Convinced that it's all worthless, she's already asked her companion to die, and she plans to do the same when they get back to Rapak. Thrawn puts her in a hibernation chamber until that time comes, so she won't force the issue. He values life, so he's going to keep her alive as long as possible. My cat is trying to get into my closet if you hear giant <laughs> banging. That's <laughs> um, really funny. Um, so, yeah. So, Thrawn values life, so he's going to keep her alive as long as possible, even if he has to fudge the truth to the Syndicure. Lakinda is absolutely shook by that. Simacro is also a bit taken aback. And when they get back to Scylla, uh, Bakif tells Thrawn a rumor that the Patatas have aligned with the Vigari. The Syndicure wants Thrawn to pursue and leave the Magus' homeworld alone, but we all know that that probably won't happen. When they enter Patata's territory, several ships appear to be on the defensive. It appears that the Vigari influence is not there, but it could be hidden. Then they receive a transmission from a Patatus prince. Thrawn seems to be a bit on edge, but he's open to experimenting, so he urges that they are intent on peace. But then the fighters all of a sudden attack, approaching from a different configuration than expected. They unleash a barrage of laser fire, but only at one-tenth power. It's just a light show. Thrawn suspects the Nicardoon are watching, and then he fires likewise, and then moves in. He launches breachers and spheres on the cruiser he suspects to be the Nicardoon watching, and as they strike, the Patatish ship just rips it to shreds in a cold, calculated, and very epic fashion. The Nicardoon are ended in the area, and now the Patatish will hear Thrawn's question. Thurfian seethes. 
and the Patatis go to extra lengths to show Thrawn's grace. Since Thrawn can't be thwarted, it is time to bring in another player, and a possible Fallout guy. They're going to ask Lakinda to help. She's loyal to her family, even as a member of the EDF. The lure of glory for her family will ensure her cooperation, and if there ends up being blame, Thurfian would rather the Zodlak family take some of that share instead of it all landing on the myth. So we're just going to get straight to it because um, a lot happened there. And I think that we have to start with our homeboy Thrawn. So his battle strategy um, and trust of every situation is just absolutely something to behold. Like the way that he systematically destroys the gunboats, he asks Lakinda to play her part and then recognizes the strategy of the Patatus in such a way as to risk allowing the Springhawk to be fired upon through riddles. Like, I mean, Wow. Like several of our community members actually over in our greater good discord chat, like have mentioned that these space battles seem easier to envision than any other Star Wars space battles. Um, Like Amy, I believe was one of those chatting with me. So I think that I attribute it, you know, to Zahn's writing and Thrawn's very purposeful and detailed analytical thinking. Um, But something about these specific engagements just seems different. Maybe it's the lack of the zooming X-Wings and tie dogfights we're used to, um, especially when thinking about the more recent Alphabet Squadron Squadron books. Um, But everything just seems easier to place. Like, I feel like I'm there and I can actually keep track of what's happening and how the ships are moving and such. Cheryl, I'll start with you. Would you agree with with that assessment? And if so, what do you think the difference is? Yeah, I think we can very much thank Timothy Zahn for being a phenomenal battle scene writer. And that's the whole point, isn't it? You want your reader to be able to envision themselves there and be able to picture what is happening. My favorite thing he does too is in the midst of battle, we always see it through like the first captain's eyes usually. And Mm. Thrawn is always prompting them to look for the right clues if they aren't able to figure it out. Like, hmm, what do you see happening over there? It makes the reader feel like they're a participant in what's happening and not just watching. Um, Mm. Yeah, I think it also shows that Thrawn wants his crew to grow and learn in this skill, and the only way to do that is to teach them what to look for. It's not always about what's right in front of you. Zahn just has a talent for writing space battles. And I don't think other authors quite make the space battle stuff as engaging for the audience quite like he does. That's just my personal take. I think he does it Hmm. very well. Okay. Yeah. No, that's excellent point. I love, you know, the part that you mentioned about how, you know, typically it's, um, you know, Zahn allow, like we typically see it through a first officer. And so like, and Thrawn kind of helps to urge like, okay, what did you notice here? Um, and we saw Arlani do that in our last section um, with uh, Wutro, right? Uh, and I know this isn't in the show notes or anything, but making mm-hmm. a connection where, um, you know, she intentionally says, I, I don't want to say everything that I noticed that way other people can spot check me if I might be wrong. Yeah, she doesn't um, want to influence Right. Their decision. Yeah, to yeah. help lead them in a particular direction. And Thrawn doesn't necessarily do that either. But yeah, I, th- I think that you're absolutely right um, the way that, that he's able able to do that. Um, poor Trevor, shout out <laughs> in listening. And he said, oh, crap, I thought I'd listen in and show my support, completely forgetting that he hadn't even started this book. <laughs> no, no. Uh, much yes, much no, love. Yeah. Much love to you, Trev. <laughs> oh, man. And Amy says, um, yeah, 100% props to Zahn. And she totally agrees with you, Cheryl. Adam, do you agree with Cheryl? Um, w- what did you think about all this? Yeah, definitely. I didn't really think about the differences in the writing style, more of the narrative that Thrawn, as you said, Timothy, is able to break it down for the reader and the reader does feel engaged and is able to follow along because he does. He he has a step-by-step approach and I think as the audience, we can just follow along nice and easy. But it is, there is also, as you said, it is there is a stark difference between, say, this and Victory's Price and Twilight Company and Inferno Squad where they just they just seem to be more go, 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 no real breakdown of what's happening it's just a fight unlike these books where we yeah. actually get the con like the context of what's happening 
yeah, I almost feel like I, like I'm standing or I'm sitting like in a classroom, like behind a desk and Zahn just has this marker board out and is like literally drawing where everything is. Like that's, that's how I feel yeah, when I'm reading at, it. We're all at the, um, uh, the Chiela military Academy and he's teaching us. <laughs> it feels like it. it feels like it very much. So, uh, Adam, I'll ask you this next question. You know, when we think about the Patatas you know, battle um, or, you know, basically the light show that happened. D- does their reaction to working with Thrawn, like after it's all completed, you know, he saves the day. Does that say more about him, like Thrawn as a character or the Nick Ardoon and possibly Jixtus as a threat? What do you I think? I think it's definitely a bit of column A and a bit of column B. I think that the name Thrawn is starting to, you know, be disseminated through the chaos and people are starting to realize that this Chiss EDF officer is is unlike the others. He is able to just, you know, make miracles happen nearly in a military sense. But also there is a little bit of, of Jixtus there. He's starting to take notice of Thrawn, which means that the lesser enemies perhaps maybe need to start taking him seriously as well. Okay. Interesting thoughts. Cheryl? Yeah, it definitely. I think it says both. I think it tells us Thrawn is regarded with respect in the battlefield and that his reputation is well earned. I think the Patatus know not to mess with him anymore and he is adept at understanding their personal tactics. It mm. shows that the Patatus are smart in now using Thrawn to their advantage as an ally in ridding themselves of the Nekardun. Right. But I'm going to disagree with Adam in that I think it shows us that the Nekardun uh, not just not Jixtus, but just the Nicardun certainly underestimate Thrawn and that they aren't particularly clever because they get obliterated. Yeah. So maybe from, from the Patatus's perspective, you know, the, this is one of those, the enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of thing, mm-hmm. or I'm going to, mm-hmm. I've, I've got a bigger threat at play because I know, you know, our previous history with Thrawn has not been great. <laughs> um, and maybe it's time to, to kind of mend that a little bit here. Um, knowing that there's, he is a known entity and we know how he operates. So let's maybe play nice for a minute so that we can, we can yeah. be all right here. Let's, let's utilize that to our advantage. Yeah, totally. Um, and speaking of, you know, maybe trying to use things to her advantage, uh, let's talk about Lakenda briefly. You know, she seems like she's about to be in over her head. Um, from listening to Thrawn, you know, intentionally skirt around the Syndicure's mandate to the fact that she's about to unknowingly become a pawn in Thurfian and Zestamu's schemes. Um, like, we know that her family is all about glory, um, Cheryl, is there any way that she can actually deliver that glory in spite of her circumstances around her plotting otherwise? Well, I think there's a difference between glory and honor. And I think what you're asking is, can she obtain glory while maybe potentially being dishonorable? Because chess mm. culture is all about the politics. I'd wager to say that there is seldom honor to be found in politics. But there is very much glory for those who can position themselves well within it. I think that we are going to see Lakinda's loyalty come into play here. So, because like as a member of the EDF, she's supposed to put the Chiss ascendancy ahead of familial of her f- family glory. Right. I think yeah. we're going to see her struggle with finding her path in an environment where glory and honor are sometimes not found along the same path. Yeah, she's in a really tricky situation. Mm-hmm. Adam, did did you notice this particular situation that she's in, and and do you think that um, that she'll be able to deliver? It is a difficult situation, but I I really don't have anything more to add. That there is a distinct difference between honor and glory, and as Cheryl said, that this hierarchy is built through the political system, and it's hard to find honor in that. And if Usually those who may come with good ideas and maybe honorable intentions, the system might chew them chew them up and spit them out and it's all about glory from there. So um, yeah, no, I don't have any more to add really. Just it is it is their culture and it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, I will say as an aside, like I'm loving in this particular book that we have another family 
within the chist that we're now working with to to get a better understanding of like the family really means a lot here um like and knowing now that the, this Zodlak family is also not one of the ruling nine, but mm-hmm. they might like to be, yeah. um, there's so many more stakes at play. There's so much, so much there. Um, and for her being a little bit scorned from being left out and almost being shamed in a sense for, you know, the last Nick Ardoon battle they were involved in and kind of being off to the side, like there's a lot riding on this. Um, and she doesn't really have much of a choice, but to go for it yeah <laughs> um, but she's got the drive for sure yeah yeah i, I think it was some even said like she's a little bit brash mm-hmm. <laughs> um you know like she's gonna charge a <laughs> charge into a you know a, a battle dreadnought alone um without really thinking through things because she's trying to to get that glory um so, yeah it's crazy um and let's talk about thalius a bit too um we got a little bit more of her here we learned that Thalius has this hibernation chamber of the Magus in her bedroom aboard the Springhawk. Um, Sherry doesn't need to know what the chamber is, but Thalius shares everything with her. Um, and it's a very complicated situation. Um, Adam, you know, we talked last week about Thalius maybe revealing too much to the refugees. Um, I know you weren't necessarily part of that conversation. Cheryl and I talked about it a lot. <laughs> but um, do, you, do you think that she's again maybe revealing too much here to Sherry? Uh, the only hesitation I have is just is is Cherry's age. But I think that what we talked about last week regarding you know, good caregivers versus bad caregivers, Timothy. I don't know if you remember, I was part of that chat. Oh, yeah, I'm just, having, just, just... I don't know, I'm in a weird fugue state. Something about that seems familiar, I don't know. <laughs> but I, I definitely pull from that conversation in, in this question as well because I do like that she's willing to share really vital information to, to Cheery. She She's not going to hide it. Um, there might be an intention to do so, but she's just she respects Cheery despite her age. And again, that is just that's going to have that follow-on effect, right? Cherry's going to grow up, and her caregiver respected her, um, cared for her in like in a particular way, where she might carry that into the future to yeah to an, another generation. Yeah. So I I, think, I just think it's another good example of of Thalius as a caregiver. Yeah, and she's she's shooting straight with her too. Mm. Like she knows that oh, I could I could possibly lie in this situation, but I know that it would only make things worse on the other side. Even like even now that I'm thinking about it, of the hesitation of her being a kid, I, I I don't even think that now tracks because we literally have what a ten to eleven year old sitting on a warship, being put in danger mm. wherever that thing goes. <laughs> so, like you ha- you you have to tell her what's going on, and I think yeah, they at least did a great job. Yeah, there's there's a weird dual concern, mm. right? Of like you don't want to over overwhelm her with knowledge that's going to um like to possibly wreck her um and, yeah, and to make her distracted. Her, but, but yeah, frighten her, but also not knowing what's gonna yeah. happen is gonna promote some anxiety and you kinda started to feel that from her a little bit, like, maybe. Because you, um, you got all the other yeah. like just thinking about again what we what we talked about last week, Timothy. I'm gonna throw that in every time I can. Um you know, sure. it's just the <laughs> Fine. And just being one of those, just imagine being a Skywalker who has a like a shitty caregiver, and like the ship goes to battle, mm. and they're just sitting in a room, and the caregiver's literally probably given no information. They're just feeling hits on the ship. Like you can imagine that that the fear of that scenario like outweighs the fear of of the Magus being in there and everything that that comes with. Yeah, I I totally follow that. Cheryl, do do you think that she's revealing too much uh, to Cherry? No, I think she made the right call in this instance because she can't hide it from a force sensitive child and there's no Mm. use in lying because that fosters distrust so yeah she we see her she weighs her options and i think she recognized that she didn't have many in this case so i wonder if if you know and and we will talk about this again maybe here in a minute, but I wonder if the fact that she, Thalius, had never intended to be a caregiver, you know, necessarily, that in Chaos Rising it just kind of happened. I wonder if there might have been like some kind of formal training <laughs> that caregivers go through and, and Thalius not having gone through that, she just blows by it and does what she wants and thinks through it, you know? Um it's a weird question and a weird kind of thought to to think through, but she definitely operates very differently than the caregivers that we have seen so far. And mm-hmm. so um, I'm just in, I don't know. It's one of those, I'm, I'm fascinated with the why of that, but 
talking about a, a bigger thing that happened with you know within all of that cheryl how do you even feel about thrawn putting the magus in the hibernation chamber to begin with <laughs> yeah that's the real question <laughs> thrawn is exerting his will on another here yeah he's taking away her choice because he believes it is the wrong choice but who is he to make that decision for another who seemingly is only doing what she believes is her right? So mm. it's a philosophical debate. I think the line is drawn for him when it becomes her dictating of others to forfeit their lives. Yeah. Like if it was just her and she wanted to, to die, fine. But since it's her asking others to listen to her order to die, that's where he says, okay, no, I must intervene. In that regard, I I think he made the right choice, but it's a it's a slippery slope. Yeah, that question of agency um, really matters. Um, and you know, I I know that Adam and I have both finished the book, I believe, so we're not going to to say anything one way or another. We're yes, not going to spoil anything. And yeah, no, we're not going to go there. So in the chat, you know, keep it keep it to these chapters too if you can. But you know, there there is a fascinating question of that because. Um, he he takes away that sense of agency from her. Thalia's question, like, is thinking about that of like that doesn't make any sense. But then also the Magus took away in some rights maybe the agency of her companion, and it's like that's that's weird. Like he's, I don't know. There, there's just a weird kind of dichotomy within all of that. Um, and I think there's definitely a larger conversation. You know, I, I mentioned last week that. Um, it, it it seemed very cultish the way that the magus and the refugees mm-hmm. kind of acted you know mm-hmm. the the going into the beyond it kind of has you know that bad religious es- um eschatol that word yeah it's it's tough it's tough um jared coming in here with it's almost like thrawn as a man in power exerts his pro-life executive power over a female's body that's gonna no, be a mic drop not, okay. yeah but <laughs> It's yeah. it's that's tough. a whole other discussion. It's a I'm whole other discussion, gonna... but it's it's a really it's a really interesting conversation that that I think this brings up. Yeah. Um, oh no, know, wait! The... I get what he's saying. Yes, it is. Sorry. Yes, you're correct, Jared. Yeah, yeah. It's it. I don't, I don't know, Adam. How do you feel about this? Controversial? Do you would I mean? Do you think you would do the same thing as Thrawn here? No, I don't. I think it's a big misstep on his part. Um... The galaxy is a large place. He shouldn't be exerting that kind of decision on another, another being. Um, I get, mm. I get the, the the forward thinking and the the strategic analysis that his brain is probably going through, and you know there there is a level of care there, but still, I think it is it's a matter of life and death, literally, and it's not really his decision to make in my mind. Um, mm. Again, I. We talked about he, he, he's caring for her, but I think most of his thinking is, again, is strategic. He he may need her um, in the future. But There's... if you were to come across a cult that was asking their members to die for their belief, like, would you agree? Would you say okay? That's okay. See, that's the slippery slope, right? Because a cult is a group within a civilization or a culture who breaks away from the norm, right? So, but this, for me, I'm thinking like this is their, like this must be a cultural decision, a planet wide decision, right? So, like, if, if you, if you get where I'm coming from, um, that like mm-hmm. this has probably been a planet's belief and a planet's, um, cultural decision for millennia more. Like, we're not talking mm-hmm. some splinter group of, of 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 a mm-hmm. of an individual exerting dominance over a group and and taking that because really even in, like yeah in the cult like he that person is making that decision for those members to take their lives at that point like yeah. it's definitely an extreme choice yeah and mm-hmm. and in some part in in some part you know it's um, because she doesn't have all of now, the information at hand like, like she just kind of assumes like I'm gonna put like, the, that's a like bit... for me I'll put like I'm gonna try and put myself in his shoes as well right like if I was him now I'm not I don't have the strategic mind of Thrawn so I'm not gonna think like that probably the first thing I'm gonna think of is I'm about to see this this being kill herself in front of me and I'm probably gonna try and stop it automatically um mm. so like like I, I'm saying well, that it's it's a his... cultural thing, but for me as an individual, if I was in that situation, I'm probably going to try and stop it because that's just what I'm going to do. Yeah, 
yeah for sure and there's there's definitely it's it's much different when it when it affects you directly uh, right like when you're actually in those shoes you're confronted with it and it's an extreme choice and i think you know someone um who has seen and you know this isn't necessarily the exact same situation but when you see someone going through a trauma um you see someone wrestling with a deep deep dark Mm. depression um like i've i've been there i've been next to friends who have struggled through things like this i've i've been in um you know people who have lost faith that have been like well what's the point Mm. like and, and it's all this mess right and it's one of those things that just because it's dark you know, Thrawn is like, this is, this is a really intense reaction to something that could be temporary. Don't mm-hmm, make a, mm-hmm. a, a, don't make mm. a permanent decision yeah. um, on something that can't be reversed. And that's, it, it, it's really interesting, really fascinating discussion to bring in Star Wars in this particular way. Cause I don't think that it's necessarily been done before. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's a much larger conversation. We could talk about this for hours probably. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, religious and ethical and cultural things that are going to go into that conversation. And, um, I don't know. I, Oh, Adam. Uh, it's a conversation that deserves its its own time, right? Because as you said, you just brought up yeah. a, a really good example of an individual's mental health and they've lost their faith, right? Like that's there's different variables of this conversation. We're look like this is her, but this is her example. But there are a million other examples that may change our mind on depending on what it is. Yeah, Jared in the chat. Let's start a space bioethics podcast, please. I'm all in it. Let's do it. I'm pretty sure that <laughs> the KBC is like the, this book club has hit that that idea we, multiple times. <laughs> we are on. We are on complete opposite ends of the spectrum from talking about Patrick being a drunkle and Wes Jenkins of the show sometimes to let's talk about. What do you do what when have, someone's trying to commit yeah. suicide? Let's have <laughs> like, philosophical debates. <laughs> yeah, like wild stuff. Um, and yeah, and let's—I don't want to spend too much time talking about it um, <laughs> because it is a little heavy. Um, but and I'm sure that in some way we're going to have to to come back to this. But <laughs> Amy, I'm so sorry. She said, "Going to have to re-listen to this because uh, her kids have decided to play drums and piano at this very same moment." <laughs> so enjoy that. Enjoy the music. Um, so let's talk about you know um, the mages and the refugees. We're still talking about her, I guess, but just a different question within this of you know believing that there's no hope. She orders her companion to die um, and plans to die herself upon returning to Rapak. But why did she command her companion to die, but is waiting herself? Um, like this timeline of events makes no sense to me. Um, it, Cheryl, uh, do you have a thought on that? Um, I think, well, as the leader of her people, she's mandated with this responsibility. And if she mm-hmm. were to just die, another would take her place and very well give the same order. It's their belief and mandate that goes beyond just one figurehead. Figureheads can be replaced, but the dogma still stands. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, I think to me, it's like, okay, I I think I follow on, on she's still like she's she's the one that wants to give that order, right? She doesn't want to leave it up to someone else to, well, to make that has, decision. That's her right as the matriarch, right? right? So I think in my head, I'm going, why do you tell this one companion right here that's next to you, the only one with you, to go ahead and do this now, than to wait until you're all together? Um, like, oh, I, don't I see know. what you're okay. I got you. That, yeah, just yeah, that yeah. particular aspect just seemed really off to me, right? Um, and it, I don't know, it tripped me out a bit, <laughs> right? So Adam, sorry, did, I didn't quite know. No, you're good. I, I think you answered it perfectly. Um, and yeah, she's got this responsibility, this role to fill. Um, I think it's, it's just, it was interesting to me how she chose to, to do that. Adam, did you catch that or notice it or have any thoughts on it? Yeah, yeah, it is probably makes us feel incredibly bad for that individual, but you're right, it comes with her power and she is the matriarch of this, really, this this whole society at the moment. Um, so she's a, she thinks that she can make that decision and it kind of, it's like a follow-on effect of what we just talked about, about her decision being taken away and now she's taken away this other individual's decision. But it's yeah. the dogma. That's like what they believe. Yes, and that's why, and as like I said, it is a follow-on to that. Right, that is a it's this planet-wide belief system that we're dealing with right now. Mm-hmm. It's not like the cold. It is a yeah. whole planet has believed this probably 
for like a millennia. So it's like that individual yeah. did not hesitate. Like we, Zahn does not say the individual hesitated or do anything like that. Like it is, he just did it. And Throng couldn't mm-hmm. stop it. It was too quick. And there was no device yeah. use. He just, it must be biological. So right. for me, when he, when I read that, like have they right. evolved? Have, like, has this been, has this belief been a thing for so long that they have actually evolved to do it in like, an extinction, an extinction level event. Have societies done this already on their planet? As we know, planets go through Keep three or four and four billion years. Look at our own. Like, um, have they yeah. evolved to do this? So he, he, Thrawn's like already fighting an uphill battle with this matriarch. Maybe he experienced that deep heartbreak that Padme felt on Mustafar, <laughs> uh, just <laughs> losing the will to live at that point. Died of a broken heart. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, someone who too soon. causes a lot too of broken soon, hearts, maybe, maybe, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Um, speaking of someone who's trying to, to cause some broken hearts, I think, let's talk about Hapliff and the Agbui, um, which, let's be honest, that is an absolutely fantastic band name, um, and I'm, <laughs> I, I absolutely want to uh, trademark, copyright, whatever I need to do, that immediately, and uh, I'm going to go on the road, <clears throat> Hapliff and the Agbui, coming to a city, planet, country near you. Timothy's like that dude in a dad band, and his band, and so Timothy Zahn has a dad band, and that is the name of it. I can see it. <laughs> Yeah, weekend dad yeah, band. We are, we are a Star Wars cover band that occasionally covers Linkin Park or something. I don't know. <laughs> Container band theme oh, song man. and then you know, some heavy metal garbage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. We are uh, we are very um, you know, being cultural nomads that they are, you know, we're we're very diverse, very eclectic band. We we can do anything. Um, there's a lot to dissect with them. Um, they can read minds. They might be war refugees. They're clearly under the control and command of Jixtus. Um, and there are a lot more than just Hapliff and his little family. Uh, Adam, I'll start with you. You know, some of it may be reaching, but they're clearly pawns in Jixtus's grand schemes, like whatever those may be. Um, and I think that they're caught in the middle. And when you factor in, you know, the little girl's reaction to the artillery shell sound, like I can't help but feel that they are a conquered people. Like, are you noticing anything similar to that? Yeah, a little bit. But my like sympathy for someone like Hapliff is like in the negatives now. But like the the children of his species, yeah, they just seem to be dragged along, and his daughter clearly just had a subconscious like she just could not not react to the sound. Like so, I do. I feel for like the second generation that are being dragged along. But for people like Halfleaf and his pretend wife, I got nothing for him. Like uh, let's look at the fact that his <laughs> yeah. pretend wife, whose name escapes me, like destroyed a thousand year migration just to follow the next step in the mission like they they don't really have any empathy they have nothing however so i'd feel nothing for them but for the next generation i, I definitely do because they're going to grow up they're kind of being dragged around being traumatized by hat leaf's manipulations of these planets and then like it's just going to be this constant follow-on effect of that it's just it's yeah Makes me hate him more. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I feel that. The creepy dude that he is. Cheryl, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, Hapliff doesn't strike me as a fully conquered person. Like, he seems to be pretty okay. proud of himself for his ability to destroy that last world for Jixtus. Um, he also said he wanted to go home mm. in that in that excerpt as well. So I I... So maybe the destruction of that last world was just his pride. Like I don't, I'm not sure. I, I, but would someone as clever and talented as Hapliff be so willing to help Jixtus if he was his conqueror? He seems well, to be given a lot of freedom of movement as well, right. and that makes me think he's serving a master that he has chosen to align himself with rather than s- subjugation. Yeah, I just I wonder if he doesn't have a choice because he gonna get got if he if he didn't do it like if he did the if he decided like, to not go with it maybe like, like happily seems like the individual who like would have brought his own civilization down to like tickle his pride like he just yeah I got mm. nothing for him Timothy you get nothing out of me okay. <laughs> 
Okay, fair this enough. Not the Hatley's Redemption podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. You're right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, still talking about him because I, I think we've got a lot there. Um, Cheryl, I'll come to you with this. You know, I was a bit surprised to see a lot of Ed Bowie, um, more than just Hapliff and his make believe little family. Uh, do you think that they're aware of Hapliff's plans, or are they actually cultural nomads and Hapliff is just using that as cover? Well, he certainly doesn't consult anyone else aboard about their movements. So I'm thinking that they are just part of the cover that Hapliff has set up. No one seems to question his decisions and they just seem to be there. Uh, maybe most of the Agboy, I don't know how to pronounce it. I, no, that's perfect. How to, uh, yeah. Maybe yeah, most of it. their culture is that of nomads, which is why Hapliff uses the excuse with ease. But mm. as for the other... I can't pronounce. I feel so self-conscious no, about good. pronouncing their name. Um, as for the other Agui on his ship, I think it's a crew, and Hapliff is the kingpin, kingpin, and they're just doing as ordered by him. Okay, that's that's my that's my thoughts, and I have not read ahead, so I could be totally wrong. Yeah, no, I I completely completely follow. Adam, what do you think? It kind of reminds me of like a gang like a mob and they've got this leader and they just follow along and without you know questioning or doing like they just they're there they're just there and they will follow his decisions shown himself to be the alpha yeah like so they just go along maybe that's part of their actual society as Cheryl said maybe they actually they are nomads in a way but then that extends into there is a alpha or a patriarch of the group and they just go with his decisions no matter what they are well, we're going to fly here. Cool. We're going to settle here for a year. Now we're going to fly here and destroy this whole civilization. Cool. Let's do that. Maybe there's, it's just, they just follow along. Yeah. Well, what do you think of their ability to read minds? Um, that kind of blew me away. I, I kind of expect, not expected. Um, I predicted almost that this was happening in the first set of chapters. Um, Adam, what do you think about this? They're telepathic. That's ugh, creepy. Touching. Yeah, I think I, I like definitely it. was kind of like getting there in the, at the start with all the touching, um, like looking at more of them, like reading the emotions of the individual, then kind of then reading into the thoughts of the individual later on. So I think it was coming um, because like he's creepy, but just the, that these people touch, like there has to have been like a reason. They, I just couldn't fathom that they just did it for no reason. Right. Yeah, I think I put it in last week's show notes when they said that it was, uh, I, and I'm not going to go in and try to find it now, but it was like, this is just a thing that our culture does or something. I was like, no, nope, that's an immediate, that's an immediate cover. You just, you nasty. <laughs> um, <laughs> Cheryl, what did, what did you think of them reading minds um, and, and all that? <laughs> I think uh, this is certainly why Hapliff can devise a plan to successfully destroy a world in six months. He's strong in the manipulation. Yeah. yeah. like, And I love that, again, Zahn is bringing in more Force users that aren't Jedi and mm. the different ways in that ability or sensitivity can be used by different species. And using it in a way to gather intel to help influence others. Like, they aren't just doing a Jedi mind trick and taking over a person's will. They're right. using it to understand the people's primary life desires and goals and the relationships, and then using that knowledge to influence them into making the decisions that they want them to make. And the person is kind of none the wiser because they have no idea that they're being manipulated. And I think it's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I think you nailed it. And to, to the point about the world building aspect and bringing in, you know, other groups of people that, that use the force in different ways. I love that Zahn isn't just world building the chiss, that he's, mm -hmm. I mean, legitimately expanding the universe in such a really cool way, um, adding more toys to the sandbox. Um, and he's doing it so well. Like, I already know, I feel like, so much about these people um, and, you know, the ways that they can use this particular sensitivity. And, and talking last week, you know, uh, Thrawn making the connection of the beyond and the Force and it all being the same. And then we see Kalori, you know, going into, um, I just lost what he called it. Um, but, like, that's... that's oh, joining the Great Presence? 
Yes, the great presence. That's what it is. I was trying to go back up in my show notes. I was like, ah, too much. Um, I, I love that. Um, that you know, there's so many different ways of, of looking at it, and Zon excels. You know, just like he he does in writing these space battles, in expanding the lore and and the cultures and the peoples, um, even people that we've never heard of. Um, it's mm-hmm. it's really really cool to see. Um, so one of the the biggest things about Hapleth and the Ibuis, still love that name. We know that the jewelry that they have um, is made up of this very rare material used in battleships. Um, so like Cheryl, what are the mani- like, what are the ramifications of this? I mean, this is part of his end game play, right? Like this is why he uses the brooches sparingly and was saving mm. them for the more like big wig chiss. Like he knew they'd run the analyzing tests and that they'd mm-hmm. figure out what it was made with. So is this his way of meddling with the political jousting between the ruling families? Mm, is it a way a to thought. start a power struggle? Or was it just to get him closer to Scylla and the capital where he can gather intel there? Like, I'm not, I'm not sure how it's right. going to come into play yet. Yeah. Well, we know, you know, based on the world that he destroyed at the beginning of this book, right, that it was a civil war that happened. So mm-hmm. there's something happening here, clearly, yeah. that he's kind of baiting. Um, I, yeah, that's that's a fantastic point. Very interesting to see how that all plays out. Um, Adam, what what do you think about this? Oh, it was no spoilers. Fine. It was it was a definite red flag, like just another kind of breadcrumb in in the in Hapley's plan yeah. like i couldn't help but like immediately kind of go to like the real world Ooh, oil kind of thing like and everything right. that that brings right like there's oh there's a lot of oil there ooh, you want some freedom kind of thing um so like it just that that yeah. was the kind of thought process yeah that i automatically had is that this is this is like for me when i read it I was like oh here we go uh, yeah. like this, this is this is how you manipulate a civilization. You look at their, you know, the greed that comes with, like, the potential of that metal. Like, and well, the chess, like, we know how important the EDF is to their culture, much like the politics, like, and the ships that come with it, and they need that metal. Um, so, yeah, loved it. Yeah, I mean, you're bringing in the, yeah, the military aspect with, you know, this reinforcement for hulls and ships. Mm-hmm. You've got them working the the Zodalak family. You know, it seems in particular here, we know that the family politics are at such a play. We see that with Lakinda and everything. And then, yeah, just the political nature of, of the two working or not working mm-hmm. together. And we know that whenever um, you give up your family for the EDF, like you set all that side you know, behind and you kind of forget that, you don't worry about it. But there's there's so like he is really at the heart yeah. of everything that that hinges on being a <clears throat> chiss and being a part of the ascendancy the of the family. Yes. Right. Yeah. Like the, the, that's like I think that's his angle, too, is like. How do, how do I make the internal strife happen so mm. that they're not paying attention to the external that's going on, maybe? Yeah, and, and, right, and like the, right. Like the, the, these first two sections of the book, I think we're all, like, I was sitting here going, all right, what, what is Hathley's plan? Like, I get it. He's he's hanging out with this family. He tried to do it before. Like, how is he going to bring down the cheers by just hanging out with a farming family and trying to get to some local counselor who's not even the pla- not even the boss of the planet <laughs> right. like what what is the go and then we find out about this metal yeah. and it all kind of just starts to fall into place yeah well it it's it feels like inception yeah. in a way i mean it's <laughs> yeah. it's that real subtle manipulation of let's start with the most innocent of thoughts from the most innocent of places the most innocent of people mm. and it will naturally slowly work its way up to where they'll forget completely about the ag buoy mm. because it was their idea to begin with you know like it's it's brilliant and i feel like i'm looking at a jigsaw puzzle <laughs> right and every time another piece comes up like i'm looking at the box i can see what the picture is supposed to look like maybe but it's like i see this color here and and it's it's gotta gotta figure out how it fits. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. he does an, an excellent job there. Um, and you know, Adam, I'll I'll stay with you for this. I don't see the Agbui's relationship uh, with Yopelnik and Yumi ending very well. Um, you know, do you have anything that you'd like to say about their current state of um, of affairs? Um, hashtag Let her watch the bird migrations. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's. I think you're right. I just, I reading. I just don't see anything good happening. Right? Like, yeah. I think Yumi is just a little too. She just feels too switched on for Hapleaf. Yelpelneck is just already following the. He's just biting. The, <laughs> he's just biting the hook. Like, yep, yeah, cool. You you clearly yeah. cannot think for yourself. Yumi owns you now. Hapleaf owns you. Yep. Yeah, so. Like he's done, <laughs> but like for Yumi, yeah, I, I really that Yumi's like the standout of the memories, right? Because she just always puts a roadblock in that least way, and you're like, you just want, I just, mm. I want to see that continue. Um, but you're right, yeah. that hashtag, let's get that going. Yumi wants to see the birds. <laughs> Let her see the birds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cheryl, what, what do you do? You have anything you'd like to say about their current state of affairs? Yeah, I think. The young lovebirds are a means to an end for Hapleth, and I don't, I don't see it going well either. I'm hoping that they just dump them somewhere and don't physically hurt them, but I'm, I'm not sure how you can do that without, without the story and cover eventually going through the channels and hurting Hapleth's plans. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, Jared says uh, free pastoral relationship advice listen to your fiance rather than an alien you just met who loves to touch you yep yes a thousand thousand percent like I think I think it's like another subtle example of how important like rising and and family is to the culture like he as Jared said like he kind of disregards this woman that he's going to marry and he's on like this amazing gap year with because there's a potential for the alien to kind of rise and help Yopalnik's status. I mean, Yumi's kind of stubborn too, though. You know, she's very I want my way. Like Hapleth calls her a spoiled brat, oh, and I think that's kind yeah, there, of there is a part of that like, too. But like, doesn't help that Yopalnik is clearly anyone can kind of point. But he, well, he's just he's being manipulated. <sighs> jump how high (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i I feel for them for sure um and i think the the last question that i have really um is i i I don't feel for kilori um of wandalon (laughs) at all but you know he's back um are you surprised to see him uh, for me, you know, it it gives me um, his reintroduction into it. Like, I mean, when we got the lead in that, oh, they've got a Pathfinder um, or some kind of navigator on their ship, I was like, I bet it's going to be Kilori. And then it was. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. like, it was another reminder that there is a much larger thing at play here, um, mm-hmm. just with how he was tied so so stringently with Yiv, the Benevolent, in the last book. And then, you know, and Jixtus showed up at the end of that, and he's here, and Kilori's just that that kind of linchpin it seems like Cheryl um, what do you think were you surprised to see him at all yeah no I wasn't no I I called it definitely just the, the same way you did and I think he's meant to be that bridge between the ending of the first book and mm. his introduction into this one so yeah no yeah. I wasn't surprised cool Adam how about you were you surprised to see old, our, our good boy Kilori? uh not really because Kilori was our like from memory our intro into Jixtus at the end of chaos rising and he may not be a skywalker but he still has the ability to navigate the chaos um so i think for Jixtus, he is a tool and a like someone who's needed <laughs> you don't just throw that away <laughs> yeah he's it's like someone on the ends like he's he's found his way into that because isn't like the navigator like they have that guild right it's like his way yes. into the guild because mm. they're not yeah. supposed to like Kalori's not supposed to be doing the stuff that he's doing <laughs> right yeah absolutely yeah absolutely um that's really i think all that i have you know um we still haven't gotten necessarily too much from our girl arlani um i, I hope that we get more of her you know, towards the end of this book. And if not, I hope that we get a heck of a lot of her in book three, but, um, I'm, I'm loving the little pieces that we are seeing. There's also the whole weird thing with Lackfro and reaching out to his cousin. Yeah. That's, that's pretty crazy, but I'm sure that we'll, we'll talk about that, um, in the weeks to come. I think the only thing before I ask favorite moments or characters, I, again, talking back to, um, Zahn's ability to expand the universe. I love, we got this little throwaway line. Um, in, in the first section we talked, um, Therfian was trying to figure out something about the Stibla family and how, um, 
you know, working with their ships or something, but they were like this super well-off, well-adjusted family, and they just disappeared uh, disappeared into obscurity for a bit. Um, and here we got to mention that they were like the OG Chiss family, like um, like they were the first and the most powerful. And um, I'm really interested. I love these little breadcrumbs of all of Chiss history um, that that we're getting. It's much more expansive than I think that we thought. Um, and that's that's the only thing I wanted to mention there. But I'm Cheryl, wondering if is yeah. is Jared still in the chat? Is the Stibla or were they in Legends? I'm wondering. Oh, good question. Um, he might be bringing something in from his Legends stories again because he does that a lot. So. Yeah, I can't that's... recall myself because I I don't really have the best memory for all that side of things, but it could be that he's bringing another aspect of legends into Ken. Yeah, uh, Jared, we're talking about the uh, Stibla family. Uh, at, at least in here, it seems like they're the original Chiss family. Um, so I don't know. Um, it'd be really interesting if they were mentioned in legends. Uh, he said, Jared says he doesn't know. Um, mm. But I, I am loving all of, of Zahn's connections and the way that he is building this. Um, and I need to read more. I need to read more about the Chiss in Legends, by yeah. the way. Trav is going to yell at me because I was just on the episode with him and Jose talking about the Chiss. And he could have very well mentioned this. And I <laughs> yeah. just was like, it glossed over me. <laughs> yeah. Well, and Mike brings up, you know, like... Um, you know, he doesn't think that Zahn went much into the Chiss family structure nearly as much in Legends. And it, it seems like I, I vaguely remember when Chaos Rising came out that everybody was so excited because it was like Zahn had been sitting on this for 40 something, 30 something years. So yeah, you know, maybe this, this was level, his time. Not to this degree, but he does he does break out the family structure in yeah. like Survivor's Quest. Mm. It talks about the merit adoptives and ranking cousins and all that kind of stuff. So. Gotcha. Cool. Well, either way, I'm excited to see more of it for sure. Um, Cheryl, we'll stay with you. Favorite moments, favorite characters in this section. Uh, it's clearly Hapleth and the Agbuies, right? I mean, yeah, they're definitely, it's, <laughs> it's, they're interesting. I don't know what to make of them quite yet. So yep. excited to see where that goes. And obviously all my favorite moments are going to be with Ron because it's Ron. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Adam, how about you? I feel like you feel like you're more of a, a farmer Lacfro type. That <laughs> it's funny that you say that because yeah, I was going a, a little, to say Lacfro. A little obstinate. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually going to say Lacfro, but not for those reasons, you bastard. It is okay. mostly because he's like unwittingly kind of becoming the hero a little bit, right? Like he's starting to see yeah. issues and he's starting to kind of put one and one together, and he's going out of his way to kind of find out what the deal is with the Agbui. Like, he's going to unpronounceable cousin and giving him these brooches. Um, and, like, and so, mm. so it's like, a carry-on from that moment being my favourite is when we find out the importance of the jury. Because um, that, that, it all kind of fell into place. Like I said before, I was kind of wondering how Hapleaf's planning on doing this. Um, and then once that happened, it was, all right, now it's I, I get, I'm starting to see it, starting to understand his plan a little bit better. Um, and unlike the Stibler too, it kind of reminded me, um, I, I really want to know more about that. It reminds me of like, like real world history where there's a king and then say Rome, Rome had a king and then the king went kaput and then there's this republic of major noble families. Um, really would like to f know like deep history of the Chiss. Please give that to me in history book format. Like there was a king, yeah. there's a king family and then the king goes away and the republic rises and there's changes to that kind of dynamic um so yeah for sure lack for, yeah, for the, the win the constant <laughs> yeah yeah no the constant family shifting like i think it was in this section that we heard like we have nine ruling families now but at one point there were 12 and as little as three and maybe the stiblers were the one at one point like I, that's all so so fascinating like, mate, to me. like you know um, like we know that the chiss planet like they live underground in chiller maybe the stiblers were empowered when it all went to shit and then they were forced out because they're now living underground. Like, yeah, I'd love to know more. Yeah. I think they're living yeah. underground because it's cold though. I think it's a, it's a pot, it's a planetary issue of, I don't think it was like, anyways, I'd have to check that. It's another discussion. Yeah. No, that's cool. Um, I, my favorite moment, um, you know, I, I think my favorite character would, would be Thrawn, but my favorite moments have been the space battles. They're just so vivid 
to me. And, and I love the way that they, um, especially that last one, you know, with the Patatas and, and the way that, you know, they lessened their, their lasers to make it a light show to, to pretend that they were actually fighting and the, for the Nick mm-hmm. to believe it. And that, that tense moment where you're like, Oh no, this could all go to crap. And they were able to like to salvage it. And then just the cold blooded nature with the Patatas ripping into that Nick Ardoon frigate, like brutal. Uh, but I, I loved all of that. Um, so give me more Zon space battles and I will read them to my heart's content. <laughs> um, so that's, yeah, favorite moment for me. Have you, have you sure. read Outbound Flight, Timothy? I have not read anything outside of the original Thrawn trilogy and Legends. So I think you would enjoy Outbound Flight. I, it is, it is, it has moved up to my list, um, up through my to be to be read, and most of that is probably because of your appearance on Legends Look Back, which again is part two coming up next Thursday, nine thirty. Yeah, yeah Thursday Sweet. the thirteenth. Sweet. Got to give a little plug plug to you and our friends over at Legends Look Back um, as they finish out their part two discussion on Outbound Flight. So next Thursday, 9.30 p.m. Uh, but yeah, Outbound Flight and Survivor's Quest, um, the uh, the duology, all of that has definitely moved up. I, I'm finding that now that I read more Thrawn, I love more Thrawn. <laughs> so um, I, I, want, I want it all. So good. Um, Cool. Well, I think that is going to do it for us this week. Um, thank you all for listening in and participating in the Conja Book Club. We're going to be taking a break next week, but we will be back on May 22nd to talk through Thrawn Ascendancy Greater Good, chapters 15 through 20. In the meantime, you can find us on Twitter at Conja Book Club. I am at underscore T Guthrie. Adam is at DarkStarAU. Patrick, when he's around, is on Discord at Mac11. We still need to get him to make that Twitter account soon. You can also follow the Utini Podcast Network at Utini Network for updates on all of our shows, including exclusive Patreon releases. Special shout out to our guest this week, Cheryl Bell. You can find her in the Discord community um, at Cheryl with the boot, the, at Cheryl with the blue butterfly, um, and on Twitter. <laughs> at Cheryl K. Bell. If you want to support the show, consider leaving a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. Um, it'll help people find us and hopefully join our incredible community. You can also pick up the books that we read on utini.com. Just look up the books you're interested in, click on one of our affiliate links on the book profile page, and you'll help keep us on the air and produce some more awesome content. You will find links to Greater Good and June's book, The Age of Republic Limited Comic Series, in the show notes and pinned to our chat in the Discord channel. If you'd like to help us out more directly, you can find us on Patreon or pick up some merch at utini.com forward slash merch. A special thank you to Sally and Chris Eilerson, Elizabeth Cloutier, Jason Mitchell, and Freddie C. on our Alliance High Command Patreon tier, and Cheryl Bell, Patrick Ortiz, and Carl Sander on our Jedi High Council tier for their amazing support. And shout out to Adam and Cheryl especially for podcasting with me today. May the force be with you, everyone.